Okay. Uh, let me just pray real quick. And uh, before we look into this, uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for everyone that's here tonight, Lord, in this strange time again. And I pray, God, that you would bless their semester. Uh, God, that you would bless our time tonight. Your Holy Spirit would be active in our lives through your word, that you would uh, reveal truth to us that you would change us as a result of being in your word and being together and praying and singing these songs and, and uh, being together even on Zoom. Would your Holy Spirit break through? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, this semester, um, we're going to look at uh, different Old Testament characters. I'm, I'm naming it Wilderness Saints. And uh, so we'll be looking at different Old Testament characters who are going through difficult times, trials, uh, some are depressed, some are in some serious testing times, and uh, we're going to briefly look at how God met them. And so, you know, we're all going through a huge trial right now with COVID-19, with all the issues in our culture, politically, political divisions, and, um, and so uh, it's having devastating effects uh, on people. In fact, um, I saw a statistic that something like 92% of college students are reporting emotional struggles and some one-third are being diagnosed with some sort of mental illness. Um, and so there's psychological issues, physical issues, mental, there's the social isolation that we all feel. Um, so we really are going through a wilderness of sorts. Um, and so I thought it would be helpful for us to look at different biblical characters that are going through wilderness trials and to see how God uh, meets them. And really the whole paradigm of the, of the Old Testament actually for Christians is, is the wilderness that we've been delivered. For a Christian, the paradigm is just like Israel was delivered out of Egypt and went through the wilderness to the promised land that's where we are. We are in the in-between. Uh, if you're a Christian, you've been set free because Christ died on the cross and you believe that. But we're not to heaven yet. We still are in these bodies that are wrecked with the brokenness of life and the abnormality of sin. And we are in this in-between and things aren't, we're not at the promised land yet. We're in the in-between. And so... Um, we're passing through. And so I don't know if you have that mindset um, that we are, that, you know, when, when you become a Christian, some people have the idea that, oh, it's all just going to be amazing and beautiful and wonderful. Well, that's not the picture we see in the Bible. What we see is trial. What we see is Jesus said, you, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So we're going to have burdens. We're going to have tribulation. We're going to have trials. We're going to have temptations. Sin is still uh, in the midst of us, even though we, we have victory over it as believers. And so, um, so for this first two weeks, we're going to look at Abraham. And uh, if you're new to the Bible, um, I want to just point out the fact that when we look at the Old Testament, uh, we are not talking about myths or legends or fairy tale stories that we believe the Bible is true and, and these characters were real 
and Abraham really lived. Abraham and Sarah really lived, um, and God really met them. And so briefly, who is Abraham? Well, he's originally from Ur of the Chaldeans. We're kind of picking up in the middle of his story. He was probably, he lived somewhere kind of near modern-day Baghdad. Uh, and he, it was known as a culturally advanced city, uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, and Abraham was a moon worshiper. He did not know Yahweh. He did not know the God of the Old Testament, but God broke in and spoke to him and made a covenant with him. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a huge family, and I'm going to give you this land. I want you to follow me. And so um, Abraham and his family, Sarah, his nephew Lot, they all leave that area and they go to the promised land. And so um, in Genesis 12 is, is where we find the beginning of the account with Abraham. And so um, as he goes through the promised land, here's what he's doing. He's worshiping this guy and he's building altars and he's making sacrifices and uh, famine hits and Abraham leaves and goes down to Egypt where there was food um, and supplies and while he's there guess what his wife was very beautiful and Pharaoh uh, took his wife he, he said he made a deal with Sarah he said I want you to I want I'm going to call you my sister because I don't want to die and so we find out very quickly that Abraham is is not pure he's not sinless but he's actually lying about his wife just to save his own hide um God, in the midst of that, because God said, I'm going to bless you, he, he delivers him even from his sinfulness, and he takes him back uh, to the promised land. And when we pick up this story, there's a major issue. And the major issue is God had promised progeny. God had promised the family, but Abraham and Sarai are barren. They're barren, and that's the trial. That's the... The, the issue that they're in right here, that they're in between the promise and the fulfillment. And the question is, can they trust God in the midst of this? And, and how does God meet Abram in the midst of this? I'm going to mix this up with Abram and Abraham. At this point, he's Abram. Um, and, but I want to bring it back to us. We can, don't we all feel like this? Uh, you know, we look at the suffering in the world. We look at the suffering in our lives. We look at the sinfulness uh, of our lives, um, and we wonder, like, am I ever going to get better? Am I ever going to, are God's promises ever going to really come true? Am I ever going to get out of this? Um, and so as we look at this situation with Abram, I think we can relate, and we can learn a lot about how God comes to him again. Uh, and so here's what we learn from this God uh, who comforts his saints in the wilderness. The first thing is God is personal and he pursues us with his presence and his promises. And so um, as you look at this passage, God shows up again to Abram after he had come back from Egypt. And it says in verse one, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Um, in James, it says that Abram was a friend of God. What a beautiful picture that Abraham had a friendship with the God of the universe. And this is really important that we would know that the Christian God is a personal God, that he relates to us as a person. He communicates with us. 
He gives us his word. He, he speaks to us by his spirit. He illuminates the word of God uh, to us. Um, and so this is really important because God had been speaking and had a relationship with Abram all the way back in Ur of the Chaldeans. And now we're maybe some eight, nine years later, but he's dry and he's barren and the promise has not come through. But once again, God comes to him. And in this, um, in this passage, it's beautiful because God has a conversation with Abram and Abram has a relationship with him where he can express doubt. He can express um, his, you know, fears and he can really just be raw with God. And he says this, um, this, this back and forth, he says this, Oh Lord God, you know, what, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, one of his servants. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then the Lord brings him out into the night sky and says, basically, look up at the galaxy. Look at the stars, Abram. Like, this is, this is what is, is your future. He says, look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. So what is God doing? God is continuing to, to reassure Abram because he's in this covenant relationship. God's not going to let him go. Even with his doubts, even with the struggles, even with the trials, God keeps coming in to Abram's life and with these promises and with these assurances. And so um, isn't this beautiful that this personal God would break into the life of this man who didn't know God at all? He was worshiping the moon and he is giving these promises and he's continuing to give these promises, even though Abram is struggling and doubting and not sure, God keeps coming in. And so, um, you know, what I hope encourages you and encourages me is this is the kind of God we have. He breaks in to our messes. He breaks into our struggles. And uh, he says this in the beginning. He says, fear not, Abram, for I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. And this this idea of shield is this protection, like a battle shield, that God would protect Abram um, in this land where he didn't know. There's 10 tribes here that are his enemies. And God is saying, I will be your shield. I will be your protector. I won't let anyone harm you. Uh, this is the kind of relationship that God has with Abram. And it's the kind of relationship he has with us when we submit to him and when we believe him and when we're in that relationship with him of love, uh, we, we have all the blessings of Christ, even in the trials, even in uh, the tribulations that we go through, that he, that he is our shield and our protector, even, even though our body may be killed, even though we may die of some disease. Our soul the essence of who we are will be protected by God, and we will have a new body uh, when we're with him on uh, the new heavens and the new earth. And so um, so the first part here is this idea of, of this relational God who assures us. And so, you know, the question I have is like, are, do you have a friendship with God? 
you know, and I know I'm talking to people that have grown, like some of y'all have grown up in the church and you know this, but you know, it's real easy if you've grown up in the church to kind of still not have a really strong friendship with God. And so I'm, I'm talking to the choir. I want to encourage you to cry out to God. I want to encourage you to have a real conversational relationship with God where you are expressing your doubts, you're expressing your issues, you're pouring out your trials and your heart and your depression. And uh, this is really what the Psalms are all about. You see this friendship of David with God and the relationship, and he's crying out to God in the Psalms. Psalm 27 example, he's, he feels alone. He feels like his parents have, have, like, uh, have rejected him. But he says that the Lord will not reject me. Um, and so, but what you see is raw emotions poured out in the Psalms. And this is what Abram has, the friend of God. Um, and so that's the first thing about, you know, coming, coming through a trial, uh, coming through the wilderness. You got to come, you got to, you got to be connected with the God of the universe or else it's really going to be bad. But if you have the God of the universe, you are going to get through. You are going to get through. Um, so I want to encourage you. I, I've been doing this thing called a prayer journal. I've done a few of them, but like just on my computer, when I feel really burdened by something or shameful or guilty or just like some issue, I've just been going down to the computer and just kind of pouring out my heart, kind of vomiting, like this is what I'm feeling, God. Like this is what's going on. This is the trial. This is the issue. And then I've been just trying to sit there. Um, so it, it's it's the idea of Psalm 62, pour out your hearts before the Lord. And then and then after you do that, just just sit there and be silent. You know, there's a, there's a verse that says, be still, know that I am God, and see what God might be saying to you through the scriptures, what promises uh, might be coming to you, and then write those down. Um, it's one way where you can kind of make your prayers uh, connect, and it's been a helpful exercise for me uh, as I've done it. So the relational aspect, uh, God comes to us in a relationship of love. He's never going to let us go. The second thing is the response to the promise is belief. And so this is what you have here uh, in this verse 6. So um, we have God giving this promise of reassurance to Abram that he is going to have a son from his own body. Um, and it says in verse 6 that he believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord and he, or God, counted it to him as righteousness. So here's Abram's active faith in God and his promise. Um, you know, he. what does Abram ultimately do with that fear that that's going on. Well, he ultimately believes God's promise. Um, he responds to that in faith. And this is really important because um, you have to exercise your faith in the promise of God. Uh, or else, guess what? You're going to be believing your own doubts. You're going to be believing uh, the messages of the culture. You're going to be believing your social media feed. You're going to be believing you know what other people think of you okay and what we have going on here is that 
Abram is saying, no, this is the truth. This is the promise. Take hold of it by faith. This verse is one of the most important verses in all of the scripture. This is what Paul points to in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 of how we are justified by faith, how we become a friend of God and how we're forgiven of our sins and made right with God. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the idea that when we place our faith in Jesus, okay, this is, Abraham's, this is pointing, pointing ahead. Um, it's often asked, like, well, how were the Old Testament saints saved? Okay, were they saved by obedience to the law? No. Paul is saying they're saved by faith in the promise of God. They're saved looking ahead, and this promise of God, this seed that's mentioned in this passage, is ultimately what Paul says, it's Christ. That, that one day the seed of Abraham, this I, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down, guess what? That ultimate seed is going to be Jesus. It's singular in the Hebrew. It is pointing to the seed of the woman, Genesis 3, who's going to take care of the the serpent and defeat Satan at the cross. So um, Abraham believed. He placed his faith. In Hebrews, it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many of the stars of the heaven. Okay. They were dead. They were barren. They were well past the age of having children. They had no works in and of themselves to make this happen. But instead, God promised this, and he made this miraculous child, Isaac, who we're going to look at next week. But faith is, uh, Francis Schaeffer said, it's empty hands, the empty hands of faith. It's not saying, God, look at me. I've done all these things, or I've gotten my life together, so I'm made acceptable to you. No, it's saying... I'm a sinner. I've got nothing. I'm as good as dead, like Abram and Sarah. We can't make the promise happen ourselves, even though they tried. They, he believed. He just believed in the Lord, and that's what saving faith is. That's what justifying faith is. Romans 4, 1 to 3, uh, Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, or according to works? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so it's faith that saves us. It's faith that justifies us. It's, it's faith that makes us a friend of God, saying that we got nothing, but Jesus, you have everything. Um, do you have that kind of faith? Are you responding to the trials by looking at yourself, by looking inside and trying to get your act together? Or are you saying, I'm dependent upon you. I need you. I'm going to look to Christ. Lord Jesus, help me. Um, this is how we survive in the wilderness. Uh, the longing for the promise uh, is fulfilled in Christ. And so... Uh, this is what we have. Uh, we're called, just like Abram, to believe in the promise of the Lord. The ultimate promise is here. It's Jesus Christ, the seed, who came and lived a perfect life and died on that cross for us. 
And the same thing about sanctification. How do we grow in the faith? Well, it's by faith. It's by every day saying, I need you, Jesus. I can't do it on my own. I'm overwhelmed with school. I'm overwhelmed with issues. I'm overwhelmed with family struggles and problems. I'm overwhelmed with my own sin and shame or whatever it is. So I need a fresh belief in Jesus as my righteousness and depend upon him. And so that's what walking with Jesus is. That's what being a friend of God looks like. Um, the last thing is this. God is actually the one who gives himself. This is beautiful. There's a covenant ceremony in this passage. How am I doing on time? All right. Okay. Um, this is the last thing, but it's it's amazing. And I don't know if you've read this story, but, you know, it's kind of wild. There's uh, the promise happens. Um, uh, then all of a sudden God says, okay, I want you to go get these animals and cut them in half. What is going on here? What is this? Well, this is uh, God enacting a ancient Near East land treaty or covenant contract. And it's where a greater king would make a treaty with a, left, a lesser servant. And so today, when we buy a car or buy a house or something like that, we take out a ballpoint pen and sign a contract right these are the stipulations like hey if you don't pay your mortgage you're going to be out right well in ancient times what's going on here is uh instead of a ballpoint pen they cut animals they put them on each side and the two parties would lock arms and walk down through the gauntlet of the bloody animals okay and what they were saying is if i don't uphold my end of the contract May it be like these animals. A little bit different than signing a ballpoint pen, right? Signing a contract. Let it be to me. Okay, so this is what's going on. So, but here's the thing. Where is Abraham? He is asleep. And he's having another vision about Israel going down into Egypt for 400 years and being enslaved, but God's going to bring them out. And in the meantime... God is represents this smoking fire pot and this torch. And uh, this is like a theophany or a symbolic uh, picture of God. And Abram is not there, but God is passing through the pieces. And what is happening is God is saying to Abram that I am going to fulfill your end of the contract. Abram is over there sleeping. This is an unconditional love contract to Abram saying, I will take the hit for you. I will suffer for you. And every theologian says, ah, this again is a pointer to the Lord Jesus Christ who made the unconditional contract by having his body torn in two on the cross. And his blood being what seals us for salvation okay so you have a this picture of this contract unconditional covenant contract being made with abram here but but he's not even in it and god is saying i will take the penalty for you and this is the again a picture of the gospel uh that god is making that that uh 
the reason why we can have hope in the trials we go through is guess what the lord jesus christ went through the ultimate trial he went to the cross and died and suffered the greatest separation from god being turned away from his father just so that we would never be separated just so that we could know that whatever trial we're going through whatever temptation we're going through whatever terrible issue that we're going through jesus suffered for us because he loved us so that we would never be feel separated so that we would always know that he loves us and so what do we do with that we believe <laughs> we trust this um we go to we go to jesus with our emptiness we go to jesus with our trials we go to Jesus with all the issues that we're going, knowing that he died for us, he rose for us, he loves us, and an unconditional love for us, agape love, unconditional. He's never, ever, ever going to let you go, no matter what. That's what this contract is saying. Abraham is the father of our faith. He was a friend of God. He had lots of sin. We can see it all through Genesis. But Jesus is saying, I'm never going to let you go, Abraham. I'm going to make this happen. And that's what he says to us. And when you know that deep, deep in your heart and believe that, you're going to be able to survive trials. You're going to be able to survive trials and temptations and the wilderness that we're going through. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this time to look at this passage briefly. Uh, God, give us that kind of faith. Help us to be friends like Abraham was a friend of you. And Lord, let us um, take our fears, our trials, our temptations, our failures. It's all to you, knowing that you love us and died for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.